Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we begin. Dear Father in heaven, we want to thank you for all your blessings to us. Lord, we cannot begin to count or enumerate your great kindness and mercy towards us. Father, you've given us the miracle of life. Father, help us to enjoy that miracle day by day, moment by moment, and give you all the honor and glory. Father, we're looking at uh, part two of our sermons on stewardship. And Father, stewardship is such a wonderful thing. It's not just about money that we seem to have such a hard time letting go of. But Lord, it's a realization that everything that we have comes from you. And we have the joy and the privilege of being grateful and thanking you for all of these blessings. Father, I pray that you may inspire us today. I pray that you may encourage anybody that may need encouraging. I pray that your spirit may speak to us and speak through me, Lord, though I am sinful and unworthy. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. We had a powerful look uh, last time that we were here into the book of Malachi. And uh, Malachi means uh, messenger of God and was probably written around 432 before Christ, the last book of the Old Testament. And it is not a happy story about how God is uh, feeling with regard to his people. It, it was quite an amazing thing because typically as a, a pastor I would use you know, this um, uh, texts to show that, you know, we need to give tithes and offerings. Uh, but the m book of Malachi is really, if you see how it begins, you, you'll see that it begins with the burden of the word of the Lord. So the Lord has a burden. And we saw, and I'd just like to um, summarize a little here what we looked at last time, and we'll carry on. And eight times, no less, God brings um, his, his, his complaint to his people. And eight times, his people retort back insolently, rudely, and in a manner that conveys a kind of an arrogant attitude and saying, what are you talking about, God? And so they would question God's love. They had no respect for God as their father. They disrespected the holiness of the services. And their worship was empty and formal. They were undiscerning of good and evil. They didn't make a difference between what was holy and unholy. They denied the fact that they were in apostasy. And they denied that they were robbing God. They were rude and defiant. Does this seem to have a parallel in another book in the New Testament somewhere? Any ideas? Did I hear or see somebody mouth the book of Revelation? The Laodicean church. It's funny, isn't it? Last book of the Old Testament, last book of the New Testament. There is a people, people of God, that um, are complaining, think they are rich, but are blind, naked, wretched, and poor. And this is what God has to deal with. But God being such a gracious God and a merciful God, in, in actual fact, what they had done as a people was they had broken the covenant. 
They had broken their side of the bargain that would guarantee the blessings of God towards them. Despite the fact that they had been um, negligent in all of these areas, God was saying, well, I'm still faithful, and it is because of my mercies that you are not consumed. And he would still um, praise some of the Levites that were being faithful and that were presenting the law of God in the correct manner. And I noticed, and we noticed that together, that uh, God had many areas that he was displeased with his people on, but to bring them back, and as he calls to them, he says, repent and turn to me, he says, start your journey back towards me by returning tithes and offerings. And so he, God, in the face of his people's um, faithlessness says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house or food or provision. Prove me now herewith. Try me out in this, he says. Says the Lord of hosts, and there we get an idea of who he is, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough for you to receive it. God is a mighty God. And we just heard in our map um, offering appeal that God owns everything. And we are just stewards. Friends, we need to remind uh, ourselves. I need to remind myself of that. Everything we have is on loan from God. We are his stewards. And he, he wants to bless us with more so that we can be more of a blessing to other people. But he goes on then in Malachi 3, 10 to 12, And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. So here we see what God wants to do or wanted to do for his people, and I believe still wants to do for his people. Where does he want his people to be? At the bottom of the pile or at the top of the pile? What does he want other nations to be doing? Looking to God's people and saying, wow, what a poor bunch of, um, you know, losers. Or what does he want to see? He wants to see people that are um, victorious and that are enjoying the blessings of God. Now, reproving the devourer. You know that the devil is always trying to get at us. And many ways that he can get at us is through our, our health or through our, our wealth. And you know, it's, it's, an, yeah, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's an amazing thing that we can be afflicted by the devil. And, and when we're doing God's will, and when we're coming to church, and when we're returning tithes faithfully, do you find that sometimes things seem to go wrong? That can happen. But you know, God is in charge. Don't be discouraged. He will help you. He will help me. You know, I, I remember the time that uh, I did. I, do you ever do a silly thing like put your cell phone on, on the roof of your car? Have you ever done that? And I mean, that's not quite so bad as actually driving off with it still on top of the roof, right? I've done that before. And you know, um, one time I received a call from um, my cell phone to the house phone. And a person on the other side was saying, excuse me, um, is this your cell phone that I'm using? 
because I found it on the road just along Riverview. And, uh, I, fig and I said, uh, yes, oh wow, and then I suddenly remembered, I remembered putting the cell phone on top of the car, I think it was on the trunk, and, and I drove off. You know, I, I went and did something else. I mean, have you ever never done that? Don't put your hands up. But um, <laughs> we can do crazy things sometimes. But anyway, this, this is just um, something that I'll never forget because he said, I have your cell phone. I said, you do? How is it? It's fine. There's just a little scratch on it, but it's okay. And uh, so I, um, I, I retrieved the, the cell phone. And uh, when, when I realized how far away it had obviously traveled before it fell off the, the trunk of the car, it was two and a half miles. It had, you know, stayed there, and, and it fell on the road. So, you know, cars going by could have smashed it, and so on. And then somebody finds it and has the intelligence to press home and call me and let me know. And, you know, we could say that's a, a little simple thing, you know, coincidence, and yeah, you were lucky. But I say, praise the Lord. How about you? And you see, that's an example, a very tiny example of, of how God can reprove the devourer and how God can, can um, guard and watch over us and even our possessions so that we can be fruitful and that we can um, prosper. So, you know, I, I really love the, the story of the Exodus. I've been looking at the story of the Exodus. And this story, this, these, these words here, I will open for you the windows of heaven, reminds me of the children of Israel wandering in, 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 in the desert of, of the, the, the desert, the wilderness of the Red Sea, as the Bible calls it. And, and God is raining down food for them. This seems to be similar kind of language, wouldn't you agree? And in fact, in fact, if you go to, to Malachi, the end of um, I think it's chapter 4 there, you will see that God actually makes a reference to Mount Horeb. So what, what is Mount Horeb? Uh, what, where was Mount Horeb? Um, maybe I could ask, or, or what happened on Mount Horeb? Come on, give, talk to me now, just a moment. What happened on Mount Horeb? The what? The what? Ten Commandments, that's right. This was Mount Horeb. This is, this is the thing. Mount Horeb. Um, Mount Sinai, the mountain of the Lord, are one and the same mountain, okay? And so it mentions it there in, in the last um, chapter of, of Malachi as, as, a, as a reminder. And so what God is saying is, look, look at my ability. Can't you, don't you remember a thousand years ago, I was bringing the people out of Egypt, my people, and I was opening up the windows of heaven for them. So this was like a guarantee for, for God's people and a reminder and, and see how far they had fallen from God and following him, from trusting him and receiving all of his blessings in a thousand years. And I love this quotation that um, Alberta put uh, in the, the newsletter. I just like to remind us of it here, just for briefly. And you know, the, the story of the Exodus, I mean, there's a whole book entitled The Exodus. And you know, it, it's there marked in the history of God, what God has done, what he did for his people, and how he, he defended them, and he made a difference between God's people and the Egyptians, and how those 10 plagues came and afflicted only the Egyptians. And it, the, those plagues actually went against the things that the Egyptians were worshipping, like the Nile and the flies and, and the gnats and all of these things. And, and they were seeing God working. And they were, they were witnessing 
God's deliverance. And we're told that we should look at the history of the children of Israel and their wanderings so that we can learn some lessons from it. Lessons of God's providence and also lessons about the fickle nature of God's people. And so I love this quotation. I'll just read a little bit of it. The history of the wilderness life of Israel. This is taken from Patriarchs and Prophets um, 2.93. The history of the wilderness life of Israel was chronicled for the benefit of the Israel of God to the close of time. So that means us, for our benefit. The record of God's dealing with the wanderers um, of the desert in all their marchings to and fro, in their exposure to hunger, to thirst, and weariness, and in the striking manifestations of his power for their relief, is fraught with warning. It's fraught with warning and instruction for his people in all ages. The varied experience of the Hebrews was a school of preparation for their promised home in Canaan. God would have his people in these days review with a humble heart and teachable spirit the trials through which ancient Israel passed that they may be instructed in their preparation for the heavenly Canaan. I love that because it's highlighting, look at the greatness of God in delivering his people from Egypt, from slavery, and how God led them out with a mighty, miraculous hand, defeating the enemies. But also we see the story of how the people were complaining at every step and bemoaning their fate. And, you know, later on in Patriarchs and Prophets, she, she will say, when we look back on that, we would say, you know what, we would never be such um, ungrateful complainers as the um, Israelites were. But you know, friends, we are no different. We cannot see further than our eyes can um, see. And as soon as we start suffering, we start complaining and even asking God, where are you, God? But, you know, so many people do not believe the story of the Exodus. And I love the way Malachi makes allusions to the Exodus story and the pouring out of, of the uh, blessings of God. And um, you know one of the reasons why people don't believe in the Exodus story? is because they haven't been able to find um, evidence of the Egyptian um, let me say, yes, they're, uh, they're, no, the, the people of Israel and their wanderings in the desert. It's, it's been hard to find any evidence of it. And um, when, you, when you consider the Red Sea, you can see a map there um, and where Mount Sinai is located. Did, did you know that Petra and I went to Mount Sinai for our honeymoon? Okay, big fact. Okay, big deal. But anyway, it was a big deal for me and, and for, for, for Petra. And um, she, you know, my wife is a great traveler. She's a great GPS, and before the time of GPSs, she was my, my GPS, and you know, I would always listen to her, and she'd have a map, and we'd go on our vacations. But this was an early one. Early on, we had this vacation um, in the Sinai Peninsula. Easy, isn't it? Where's Mount Sinai? In the Sinai Peninsula. So we went there, and we actually took um, a camel ride around the um, near St. Uh, Catherine's Monastery, and you know, that's the place where monks would go. And the strange thing is that Mount Sinai, um, way back in, say, 300 A.D., 
that area, the whole region, was, was a place where monks and aesthetics would go to kind of be out in the wilderness. And then somebody came along with a bright idea and said, oh, look at this mountain. It looks like Mount Sinai. It really must be Mount Sinai. And that's how people consider Mount Sinai to be uh, at the bottom there of the Sinai Peninsula. But did you know, if you go into, say, the Encyclopedia Britannica and you look at Mount Sinai, it will clearly state that the location, the real location of Mount Sinai is disputed by scholars. And this is, this is in, in significant because there have been at least 20 different sites in and around that area that um, scholars have claimed that Mount Sinai actually is. So we're not sure. And one of the reasons why people don't believe in the Exodus story is they look at Mount Sinai and they say, it doesn't fit. That Mount Sinai does not fit. Where, where are the wells? Where, where's the bitter um, uh, well of Mara? Where, where are the, the um, 12 springs? Where are the, the 70 palm trees? Where's the cave of Mount Sinai that Elijah was, was at? Where are the 12 pillars that were erected in honor of the um, 12 tribes of Israel? Where is the landscape around that Mount Sinai that could, could um, camp or receive a campment of 2 million people? It just doesn't exist on Mount Sinai. Very, very interesting. And so people will say, there you are, you see there's no evidence. So, you know, the Exodus story is just a story, fabricated. But I'm here to share with you that I believe the Exodus story is powerfully accurate and true. And there is, in fact, evidence that Mount Sinai is not on the Sinai Peninsula. Okay, this is just a kind of really little interesting detail that I want you to look at. Where did Paul say Mount Sinai was? Here in Galatians 4.25, for this is Agar, is Mount Sinai in where? In Arabia. Now, as I said, people have looked at the Exodus story and do not believe it, and partially because they can't really find the evidence that the Bible speaks about um, corroborated in the traditional Mount Sinai site. And so they don't even believe the um, Parting the story of the parting of the Red Sea. But we are told that we are to look back at these events and see how God has, has led his people, guided them through the wilderness. Did you know that um, Mount Horeb? Mount Horeb is in what location? The Bible says that Mount Horeb is in Midian. Okay, before, before I lose you, this, this is really, really just important so that we can establish the historicity of, of God's um, acts with people here. So the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2, and I'll just read the, the little hit bit there. It says, but Moses fled after he killed an Egyptian. Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, from the land, um, from Goshen, in, actually, in actual fact, where he was. Where did he go to? To the land of Midian, where he sat down. By a well. Now, who was there? There was um, a priest in Midian who had seven daughters, and that's where he got his wife from. And then let's look at another, uh, another text that says that Mount Horeb was in Midian. Now, what's Mount Horeb? Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, none other. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. Mount Horeb was in Midian, okay? So it says that he was there, and he was led um, by the backside of the desert, and came to the mount of God, even in Horeb. Horeb, Mount Sinai, is in Midian. Where is Midian today, friends? 
And we can go on. And, and you know, when Moses was saying, Lord, oh, you want me to go back and um, back to Egypt, that where I've escaped for, you know, and he was there for uh, 40 years in Midian. And God said, look, don't, don't be worrying. Don't be complaining. I'll show you that um, I have the power to do this. Don't worry. Pharaoh will listen to you. They will come out. And the proof will be that you will all come back and worship back here on Mount Horeb in Midian. That's amazing. Now, Midian... That we, we read that. Um, when you have brought, this is uh, Exodus 3, verse 12. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. What mountain? Mount Horeb. Where is Mount Horeb? In Midian. Where is Midian? On the map. Today, where is Midian? Midian is in Saudi Arabia. Just up this little part here. There. And you see the Gulf of Aqaba? That's Midian. And there... Archaeologists have been founding thing, finding things that uh, really fit the biblical story. Anyway, what is all this to say? That the Exodus story is true. People have been looking for Mount Sinai in the wrong place. And it's a traditional site, and so they don't find any evidence. So they say the whole story is not true. But Mount Sinai was in Horeb, which is in um, Midian, and that is in Saudi Arabia. This little, um, it's north, northwest part of Saudi Arabia there. That is so wonderful. They found a mountain called Jabal Alors. They found um, t uh, stones that look like an altar that could have been used for the golden calf. Um, there is a rock on Mount Horeb where the water came gushing out of the rock right there close to the mountain of Jabal Alors. And uh, this there, that in that little box there is a little person, so it shows you how big that really is. You can watch a video called The Exodus Revealed. Very, very fascinating. And uh, I've been sharing some of this with the children at school, and they love it. They say, wow, you're going to show the video, Pastor? I say, well, I don't have time to show the video, but I'll just give you a reference so you can go and look at that yourselves. So the story is true. I believe it. It's in the Bible. Amen? God says he will pour out the windows of heaven. What does it look like? God says, I want you to be the best nation, not because of anything good in you, but because you display and exhibit implicit trust and obedience to me and to my word. So when now God comes along and says, um, how can a man rob God? Well, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And that text is actually on our tithe envelopes. And some of you may have been uh, unaware of that, but it's actually here. Will a man rob God? You remember last time I said that, you know, we, we can't rob God of anything. Does, does God need any, any of our money? No, he doesn't. But what we do by not being faithful in, in systematically being faithful, and, and I like that word systematically, every area of our life, are we faithful to God? Are we putting him first in our time, in our Sabbath keeping, in, in all of er, the areas of, of our life? And so God says, if you want to start a revival in your life, start by being faithful in tithes and offerings. Now, just look briefly at that. Tithe is a tenth of whatever comes across my plate. Comes across, you know, I will tithe gifts. Somebody gave me a birthday gift, I'll tithe it. And I'll do also what out of it? I'll take offering out of it. Anything that comes your way, brothers and sisters, is tithable. And we are told that if we are faithful and we prove God in this, even when it hurts. You see, the whole thing is God doesn't need our money or he doesn't need our time. We are the ones that need it. We need to enter into this um, 
stewardship lifestyle which helps us against our selfishness. That's the problem. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and ask you for money and you get irritated? You get absolutely kind of, you know, this person keeps on asking me for money. But how about if we had a, a different attitude and, and realized that God wants to, actually wants to, to use us to be a blessing to other people, especially when it hurts? You know, it's a strange thing. When we will, when we will um, kind of reason and use our kind of, um, kind of excuses and say, well, you know, I can't afford to return tithe. Or, uh, yeah, I can do tithe, but I can't do offerings. God says, you rob me in tithes and offerings. And we rob him by not allowing him to have the privilege and the, the joy of blessing us for our faithfulness. That's really how we rob him. We rob him of his ability to be God. You know, I had um, uh, an heard an inspiring story, true story, of uh, a couple. They had just um, become Adventist. And it was a time when, uh, you know, things were hard. So it was a few years ago. And um, they, they had been keeping their tithes in, in an envelope. And they, they both lost their jobs. And they had two children. And they weren't able to really see how they could make ends meet and uh, pay their bills by the end of the month. And so they had this dilemma. They had faithfully put the tithe away and their offerings in an envelope. But now they were running out of money. What should they do? That was the big question. That was the big test. And so they thought about this and they said, no, we're going to be faithful to God. We don't know how the bills will be paid. We're out of job. We have two, ch two children. Um, we cannot, humanly speaking, see a solution for this problem. But we're going to be faithful to God. Can you say amen to that? So what did they do? They decided that they would go the long journey that they had to travel because there wasn't a local Seventh-day Adventist church. They had to take their tithes and offerings physically and deliver it at the conference office. And so the husband went out and did that. And they prayed and, and, and they asked God and, and for his blessing and claimed it because it says, try me in this and see if I will not pour out the windows of heaven for you and give you such a blessing, you won't have room enough to hold it. Now that isn't just like a little wimpy kind of promise, is it? it it's a big one. It says the windows of heaven, you will not have enough room for the blessings. And I love it in the story, just going back a little bit to God's blessing of the children of Israel, is when they came out of Egypt, how much money did they have with them? How much gold, how much silver? And they... And they needed that for the sanctuary service, didn't they? And they said, everybody give a willing offering. Exodus chapter 35. And it mentions that. Give a willing offering. Be willing and give it. And do you know what Moses had to do? He had to say, because the, the workers were saying, hey, we've got too much. Stop bringing your offerings. We cannot take any more. The windows of heaven were being poured out, and there was not enough room for it. So this family go and take their tithes and offerings. And you know, that is quite a... A, an act of faith, wouldn't you say? Where did my tithe on offering go? Oh, here it is. That's an act of faith, isn't it? It's an act of worship. It's an act of putting God first and not trying to use my brain to figure out, well, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, if we're running out of money and uh, we've got a fat tithe envelope full of money and we're saying, well, God will understand. He'll understand. I'll take this tithe money and I'll pay it back. Uh-uh. Not a good idea. So they went to the conference office. They, they uh, saw the secretary there and they said, you know, and um, the secretary was a very friendly lady. So um, we're blessed to have a friendly secretary. 
friendly sec secretaries can do amazing things. And uh, what happened was he told the story and he said, look, we've, we're just returning our tithe, but I'm out of job. And uh, we have two children. Do you know what she did, that secretary? What she did right away. She said, hang on a minute. Let me call somebody. So she calls somebody and she calls the, a lady in church that she knew who had a non-Adventist husband who had this big business. And uh, he, he said, um, or she said to him, does your husband need any extra workers? And he did. And so he got his telephone number, gave it to the Adventist. The Adventist um, rung, the, rang this gentleman. That very day, he was offered a job. And he kept that job for seven years, by the end of which that non-Adventist um, businessman became a Seventh-day Adventist. You see, imagine if they'd kept their money at home and said, well, God will understand. You know, God's a loving God. He'll understand. God would have been robbed of the blessing that he had in mind for that family. Friends, we are told that when we pray, when we pray, we're told to ask and we shall receive. Seek and we shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto us. But you know, if we're not returning faithful tithe and offering, how, how can we expect God to answer our prayers? You know there's a link there between God answering our prayers and us living up to all the, the light that we have, being faithful in our tithes. What about our Sabbath keeping? Huh. How many of us know people that are working right now on Sabbath and shouldn't be? God will understand. God's a loving God. Don't see them in church. Their faith is getting weaker. And they're not here. Friends, you know, the devil is an expert at weakening your faith and my faith. And this is how we'll start doing it. Oh, I can't afford. God says, I have got the windows of heaven to pour out that you will not have room enough to collect all the blessings that I have for you. Try me in this. Prove me in this. And I'm still asking. And, and um, somebody did tell me a, a story about how they were kind of at the end of, of um, the month. And they um, felt impressed that they needed to give a certain amount of money to God's cause. And it would have meant that, you know, they wouldn't have had enough for the rest of the month. But they put God first. And they tried Him. And it turns out that the same amount that they had given was quite a lot of money appeared in a check in, in their mailbox just the very next day. So if you have any stories like this, you know, I'd love to share them. Because we are too quick to do some um, kind of human reasoning and make all kinds of excuses why we can't keep Sabbath, why we can't return tithes and, and offerings, why we, we don't have enough time to pray or read our Bibles. Friends, we're robbing God. And um, we end up being a people uh, that will be cursed. Didn't um, the Word of God say that? I will curse you with a curse in Malachi. Curse is mentioned there four times. And in, in the, the chapter 3 of, of um, Revelation, the Laodicean message, I will spew you out unless you repent. It's a serious time that we're in. And I just love it when we have this faith. You see, faith says God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them food for 40 years in the wilderness from heaven. 
water came rushing, gushing out of the, the rock, and uh, they, they drank, two million of them, and all their cattle. Nothing is impossible with God. All we need to do is look at our God and smile and say, well, I don't have much now, but what I have, I'm going to be faithful with it. And I want to be systematically benevolent. That means generous and in, in every area of our life. Are we generous in every area of our life? Because God wants us to experience the blessings that he has for us. You know, I also know of a powerful story of a businessman and the, who, who became a Seventh-day Adventist. And um, this is a story really that would help people who are afraid of keeping the Sabbath because they might lose their job or their income or their security. It's also a story about um, don't postpone your decision for Jesus in baptism because um, you might, you're afraid that you might hurt the feelings of your family, even of your wife or your, or your husband. Don't delay those, those commitments. And um, this is a story about a businessman in Guam, and uh, he had like a vacation business. It, it's a holiday kind of area, and people would um, book hotels, and they would, they would book um, uh, holiday equipment like uh, jet skis and, and those kinds of things, and, and, and all of those things. And his business was going well, but then come 9-11, and his business was going downhill. He had been very successful, and now he was hearing the truths about the Seventh-day Sabbath. He was attending meetings, um, conducted by Pastor Louis Torres. And so he had this dilemma. What was he going to do? He was convicted on the Sabbath. He was convicted he needed to give his heart to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in doing so, he would have to close his business on Sabbath. And uh, he risked then, you know, losing, you know, people usually say, oh, the best day is, you know, for business on Sabbath. You know, best day for a restaurant is, is on the Sabbath. And so he, he decided to take this decision. He was going to close his business, and it was a, a profitable business, on, on Sabbath. And even his, his wife and his business colleagues, he had uh, 120 employees. And um, all of their wages were now going to be put in jeopardy. But what he did was, he said, I'm going to go forward in faith. I believe in God. I believe in his word. God says it. I will, I will put him to the test. And so he, w he went ahead. He was baptized. And so it came the time for the first Sabbath for his business to be closed. Now, what he had to do was he had to call all the agencies, the travel agencies and people that usually would come to him um, offering clients uh, for, for bookings and so on because he would, he would um, get them. He had to explain, well, look, uh, there's a different story going on now. We want no business from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. What are you talking about? Those are the best days. You, you're going to lose business. You know? He was having to inform uh, many, many people, all his employees, all, all the people that um, were involved in, in business. He was actually witnessing to them. He had to give them a reason. He had to say, well, you know, I, I believe that God created in six days and he rested on the, the seventh day. And so he was a witness just in telling them. So they tried to tell him, well, you, you're going to lose your business. And um, even some of his employees were wondering about the wisdom of this. So being in a, in a holiday resort and, um, uh, you know, weather is a very significant thing. So Friday sundown, he put the, all the answer machines 
uh, with a message saying we're not doing any business from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. You can call us on, on Sunday or you can call us after, after sundown on, on Saturday. So they keep Sabbath. The answer machines are all there. And uh, they go and see um, what happened. Back up a little bit on the story. Guess what happened um, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown? How did you know? You heard the story before? It rained. It rained all, 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 all Sabbath long. So nobody was booking anything. You know, no, no sports equipment, no ski this, no nothing. No hotels, no, no weekend starting on, on Friday to, to Saturday because it had rained. Friends, the answer machines were loaded with messages saying, can you book us something for Sunday, please? And all like that, all the way down. Friday was, and Sabbath was, wasn't a good day. Guess what happened for six months? Please, just guess what happened for six solid months. It rained every Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Now, if that isn't, isn't rebuking the devourer and pouring out the windows of heaven, I don't know what is. You see, God is, is a creator God. He creates when he speaks. When he says it, it's done. All we need to do is enter by faith into what he says to experience it. Friends, and uh, you know, this, this story went on because the... The owner of the equipment writes that the equipment and supplies were lasting much longer. Look at that. So they weren't having breakdowns on their equipment and that kind of thing as much. And they reduced their operating expenses tremendously. Even though the tour agents and hotels tried at times to recommend our competitors' tours to their customers, the customers would reject their recommendations and insist that they go to our business instead. So, you see, people... Um, God was working on the hearts and minds of people and directing them to this business of this faithful, tithe-paying, Sabbath-keeping Adventist. And he did that, and he went ahead against all odds, against his wife and his, his employees and all the business people and the business sense that they had. Within a few Sabbaths of being closed, the employees seemed to be better rested. So the, the employees were having Sabbath rest. And guess what? They seem to have more energy and more efficiency in their work throughout the week and more productive and more be better team players. Our, and customer satisfaction and employer safety records skyrocketed. They were tremendous. With the Sabbath rest came clearer and better management decisions that made the company more efficient, thus increasing revenues and reducing unnecessary expenses. Isn't that just like God? Within time, the travel agents and hotels changed their opinion about our closing Saturday on Saturday because for unexplained reasons, oh really, unexplained reasons, our company was making more profit for them than ever before, even before when they were working on Sabbaths. That's the kind of God we serve. Isn't that the kind of God that you want to receive blessings from? Oh, friends. You see, instead of looking at our problems in our human way and, you know, and, and trying to solve it in, in our um, reasoning, 
Let us allow God to be God and say, this is your problem, God. Look at it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. It's the Lord of hosts that brought these people up out of Egypt, that parted the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. It's that same God, and all nations shall call you blessed. The whole nation, nations around were trembling. And you remember that Pharaoh actually had the idea of going through the parted Red Sea. And when he gets halfway along, the God just kind of goes, bing, and the chariot wheels start falling off. And they're getting stuck there, and they can't turn around. And then God says, Moses, do your stuff. And so he goes like that with his rod, and the water closes over. And they were complaining. They were trapped. 600 choice chariots and all the other chariots of the, the Pharaoh's army were chasing them. The people were in a panic. The circumstances around them were saying, you are doomed, Moses has led you into this. And so they come to Moses about to stone him. In other occasions, they, they were stoning him. Maybe not at, at this particular one, but they're coming. Say, wasn't there, wasn't there graves in Egypt that you've come to bring us out into the wilderness to die? And, and um, Moses says, hold your peace. In other words, be quiet. Stop complaining. You know, that's a very vital um, point to what we're talking about. Don't complain and don't say what a bad lot you have. Look to God for his help and his salvation. Amen. And so Moses says, the Egyptians that you have seen today, you will no longer see them forever. And they go forward. They go forward at the command of God by Moses through the Red Sea. What Red Sea do you have? What situation that are you in that you feel trapped? We've all got a Red Sea. The devil hates us. We are all in a strait. The devil is trying to squeeze us so bad that we say, I can't come to church, I can't return tithe, I can't keep Sabbath. And we, we go against what God's word tells us. But what is your Red Sea? The Lord says, march. He says, go forward. I am the Lord of hosts. Is anything impossible for God? Luke chapter 1, nothing is impossible for God. Yet we treat God like he's just no stronger than you or I. And so we kind of try, like Abraham did, we try and figure out how we can um, get God's blessings in our own way, in disobedience. Is it any wonder that um, we, we have um, few prayers being answered? If we're not faithful to God in, in every area of our life, we cannot expect God to be answering our prayers. And you see, our prayers are part of our worship to God. It's, prayer is not just, please, Lord, give me a job. Please go give, give me money. It, Prayer is part of our worship, is part of us being brought up to God and, and understanding things in His way and in His thoughts because His ways and His thoughts are not ours. He will open the windows of heaven. Are you willing to put Him to the test, my friend? There's one person. Two. Three, four. Okay. You see, God is God. and That means there's nothing impossible for Him. And we can count... We can take his word as it reads. It is powerful. You know that God actually does what he says he will do through his word? So you need to be claiming the promises that are in his word. And say, Lord, you've promised. 
And then just trust him. If it takes a little while, don't panic. Don't give up. Don't say, oh, I've got to go and spend my tithe now because God didn't answer my prayers. God never expects us to disobey his commandments. To get what we need. So friends, I appeal to you today to take God at his word. If we are systematically benevolent, if we are generous, if we are giving, if we... Um, listen to God and His Word, He will pour out these blessings that we have been mentioning. Not just in financial areas, but in health. How about we listen to God a bit more in the health message and not be so surprised when we're sick because we're not following the health message. You see, God has given us direction that cannot fail. But we think we're cleverer than God. And God points these things out and he tells us, you know, where we're drifting. And we say, what are you talking about, God? I'm doing okay. We are in the time of the, the, the loudest saying um, characteristic of God's church. We all need to repent. And I'm going to be the first one to say that. But I know in whom I have believed and that he is able to keep that which he has committed. And he will fulfill his promises. How many of you want to enter into a closer relationship with Jesus and maybe starting with tithing and offering and Sabbath keeping and the health message? I do too, friends. God will do exceeding how much? Abundantly all that we ask or think. So the greatest um, miracle that you can think of, God says, I can go further. Let us put him to the test, amen? Let us be systematically benevolent. Let us, let us be listening to God in his word. Let us follow his guidance, his direction. Let, let us read these stories and, and look at them and, and find ways to, to strengthen our faith and share that good news with other people. We will see mighty things happening in our church. We already are seeing a lot going on as we have seen these meetings um, with Pastor Tim Jones. Let us continue in prayer. Let us continue in faithfulness. Let us not rob God of the opportunity to bless our faithfulness. Amen. Amen. We're so grateful to you for the great things that you have done. For life and for salvation. For these promises, Lord, that are based upon your great might and power to create out of nothing by the power of your spoken word. Dear Lord, I pray that we may be inspired. That this morning we may have taken a fresh look at you and your power to provide for our every need. Lord, help us not to stay away from church for whatever reason. Lord, help us not to make excuses with regard to tithes and offerings. Help us to be like is recorded in Exodus 35, the people gave with a willing heart, joyfully, knowing that even if we gave everything that we had that was in our possession, that you would bless us countless times over. Father, help us to have the faith to believe that you are a mighty creator, God. So often we just consider you no powerful than uh, a human being. Lord, help us not to live our Christian life in our own strength, but in the strength and in the faith and in the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be faithful to you in every area of our life. Help us not to pick and choose this isn't a mix and match religion, Lord. It is all or nothing. 
Help us to realize that because of a Laodicean condition, we could be rejected. Because of an insolent insubordination, um, Lord, you rejected your people as a nation. Father, we pray that we may not take the blessings that we do enjoy for granted, but help us to put you first so that we can see the windows of heaven being opened up and poured out upon us. And as we receive blessing, help us to share it with others. For this is our prayer, so that all nations will say that we are blessed and will want to come and follow us because they have heard that God is with us. Lord, help us to be the head, not the tail. This is our prayer in every area of our life. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.